0: Hello and welcome back to the Animal Rescue Podcast. This week is part three of the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center series. This week I talk with Karen. Again, you may remember her from the part one episode. But this week we take a little bit of a different direction and we focus on the free-roaming horses of eastern Kentucky. Um, Some of you may be in the same boat that I was. And in the beginning, I thought they were wild horses, but um, we learn about the difference between wild and feral animals. So this is just a really good educational episode. um, And we talk about why we should all care about this issue. So enjoy. All right. Hello, Karen, and welcome back to the Animal Rescue Podcast.
1: Thank you, Kashia.
0: I am really looking forward to this talk today um, about the free-roaming horses in eastern Kentucky.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It blows my mind that there is even such a thing as like stray horses. Right. Yeah. Um, you th- usually think about it with dogs and cats, and maybe out west you think about the wild horses. Right. But... The idea of stray horses just
1: does not yeah. seem real. Yeah. Well, I can kind of describe how we learned about it because frankly, 10 years ago, we didn't know anything about it either. Yeah. Um, so I had, I started working here in 2012 and um, that winter, uh, the, it was like, I don't know, November. Or so I got a call from animal control over in um, Knott County. So when we we talk about Eastern Kentucky, we're talking, if anybody knows Kentucky or can look at a map, we're talking about that area that's like east of Clay City that goes all the way over to the Ohio, the West Virginia border, and then south down into Tennessee. So it's a large number of counties. I mean, I'd have to count, but it's at least 10 different counties. So a guy from Animal Control called, I didn't know him from Adam when he called me, And he's like, I have 27 horses that I just got and I need to find a place for them. And so I gulped, Mm -hmm. I said, well, tell me more. So that's how we got involved in this whole issue. And we've learned a ton since then, but the the way it works out there and the situation out there, it's not just a biological issue. It's a cultural sociological issue, biological too, for sure but um, in eastern Kentucky it's extremely mountainous. Uh, If anybody's been there or seen movies or read books you know they talk about the hollers. Um, The topography over there you're you're getting into the Appalachian Appalachian Mountains so it's the valleys are very um, very narrow and steep and there's very little flatland out there. So people live in these little valleys called hollers and you know kind of perched either in the valley or on the side of a road and um, in the good old days, <laughs> coal was a big industry out there, I employed a lot of people. And when coal companies, the quick and dirty of it is, and this is very much the layman's explanation. When coal companies mine for coal out there, they basically chop off the top of a mountain and then they go into the ground and they get the ore. When they're done, they have to revegetate these big, broad, flat areas that are literally tens of thousands of acres of land to get their bond money back, because most of these properties are leased from a private individual. The coal company leases them. So part of the condition of their lease is that when they're done, they have to revegetate, which you know makes sense, restoring the um, land you know to its former condition. So they um, revegetate with grass and shrubs and browse, and so those big, broad, flat areas are really pretty good forage for these horses out in Eastern Kentucky, because it's large expanses of land that's basically pretty flat compared to where they live. So prior to 2008, uh, like I said, in the good old days, these coal companies, there was like an unspoken agreement between them and the local communities. Many of these people that work for the coal companies are from the local communities, Mm -hmm. but there was an unspoken agreement that people would be allowed to turn their horses out there in the summer to graze, and then they would bring their horses back in the winter, you know, when it got cold. And that, as I understand it, worked fairly well for a while, but then in 2008, when the economy um, tanked all across the country, uh, many people lost their jobs and that, you know, Eastern Kentucky was no different. So um, instead of bringing their horses home, uh, they left them out there. So, these horses uh, roam, run around, they're in herds that they formed. Uh, and people out there know where those herds are. In many cases, they follow these horses. Uh, they're fairly, you know, fairly predictable as much as any animal is. Um, it's not like they're loose, and then they disappear forever, usually. Yeah. So, and then prior to all of this, before this recession, it was kind of an unspoken agreement that people would not turn their stallions out. Um, Well, that is not the case anymore. And so what has happened is there are stallions out there that are running around happily procreating uh, all the time. And that has caused this population to really expand. Now, I don't know what it was like in 2008. Um, You know, there has been some census work done, I think we could probably safely say that there's probably between 750 and 1,000 horses out in that big area that are what we call free roaming. Mm-hmm. So some of these horses are feral. Now the definition of feral is an animal that was domestic and has now gone wild. A lot of people, you know, so, put feral and wild in the same boat and they're not. So, okay, so feral, horses-
0: would feral be like, it, meaning an animal that has been
1: domesticated in general? Yeah. Yeah. Like you like, if you had a dog that was your pet yeah. and you know, it got lost or it was abandoned and it roamed around in the wild for the rest of its life, it would be considered feral.
0: Okay. So feral is more an animal that has already an, a specific animal, right? Um, animal. Not, not just a, a, an animal in general, but in, a, like a, a cat or a dog that has has been domesticated, that has lived in a, with people, right. And then has been turned loose versus an animal that was born in the wild. So even a cat, a neighborhood cat born in the wild would be a wild cat versus a cat that has
1: lived in a home. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So there's a certain segment of this population that's feral. And then there's a certain segment of this population that is wild. They've been born out there. They've Um, you know, they don't really belong to anybody. Um, And then there are horses out there that are owned by people. And so what has happened over the years is a lot of these people, they know where their horses are, and they go get them and they ride and then they put them back out and, you know, in um, to try to understand it from their perspective. uh, In some cases, I think they think they're doing the right thing because it's better for them out there, as far as feed goes, and that kind of thing than it is back at their own home. Um, But the issue is that we, there are stallions out there that are reproducing. And then, you know, many of the horses, and again, I don't know the percentage, but, you know, many of the horses receive no veterinary care, no farrier care, no dental care. Um, They're left on their own to eat, Uh, you know, so it's not, you know, it's not an ideal situation. Um, So I have a question about
0: that. I know when you and I first spoke, we talked about they have to have their um, teeth floated right. and their hooves trimmed. Yes. So with a horse that is feral or wild, how yeah. does that work? Like, right. do they
1: naturally file down or how does that yeah. work? That is a really good question. Um, in the wild, first of all, the lifespan of a wild horse is not going to be as long as a domesticated horse because, oh, you know, they're not taken care of by anything. Yeah. So in the wild, their hooves will, um, will, you know, naturally trim themselves in some cases. Uh, and then as far as their teeth go, you know, the browse that wild horses eat, you know, the, the, well, there is no grain, but the, you know, the vegetation that they're eating is much rougher than the nice hay that we give our horses. Okay. So their teeth are getting some natural filing, but mm-hmm. truthfully, you know, over a period of 10, 15 years, their teeth are not going to be in good shape Yeah, because they are constantly growing. And unless the horse is eating rocks, <laughs> right. there's really no way for it to be naturally, you know, right. filed down and in a way that allows the teeth to, you know, to chew efficiently and digest, you know, digest and all that thing, all that stuff. So, but there is, you know, definitely part of nature that's taking care of some of that, but it's not ideal. And, and um, you know, They don't live as long as you know, but they can live to be pretty old. Um, but they probably don't have as long in general, they probably don't have as long of a lifespan. Okay. Um so back to 2012, Mm -hmm. when I got this call from Animal Control, he also happened to be the chief of police for this tiny little town. And he we've become very good friends. (laughs) He said, I have 27 horses. And what had happened with these horses is they had come out of the mountains and and one, you know, I mentioned they don't get fed. Um, mm-hmm. Horses out there get very little salt and horses need salt, just like we do to be healthy. And they are starved for salt because there's no natural salt in the in soil. Um, and so they come down out of the mountains at times to lick the road salt off the highways in the wintertime. Oh, because they need salt. Yeah. And when that happens, it can cause a big traffic problem, public safety problem, And when that happens, we get called. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, you know, there's six horses in the road and they're not going anywhere, you know, can you guys help? Yes, we will help. Or they get into somebody's property and they start eating stuff. You know, they're causing property damage. So in those cases, we will help. Um, And But we can't just go out there and get those horses. We have to be contacted by either an owner or animal control or some kind of law enforcement agency like the sheriff's department or the police, because um, whoever gives us those horses has to sign a form that legally transfers ownership from them to us. And we will not take a horse unless that form is signed because we, of course, don't ever want to get involved in any kind of ownership dispute or any argument about whose horses those really were. And the law enforcement organizations understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, nine times out of 10, a lot of these horses are in terrible shape. And, you know, if they did belong to anybody, who knows who that person is. And we're pretty much their last stop. Um, Or they are causing such a public uh, safety issue that, you know, they just have to be uh, removed. Um, And so that's when we get called. And there are other rescues. you know, in the general area that will help. We didn't take all 27 of the yeah, horses. I can not uh, imagine. Yeah, it kind of freaked me out when he called me because I'm like, what, <laughs> no way. Uh, no. And I, so then another, you know, kind of um, aspect to all of this was back then when somebody picked up what was considered a stray horse, which is what these horses are considered, they, whoever they was, animal control, an individual or whatever, had to hold the horse. It's called a stray hold period for 90 days. Oh, it's 90. Cause yeah. I was
0: going to say with, you know, typical animal control, it's about seven days here. Right.
1: And here it's like five. Oh, wow. Um, so when 90. that guy called me, you know, he, the stray hold had just started and I said, well, call me at the end of the stray hold, which was going to be in January of the next year. I said, call me and we'll, you know, we will help you. So he did that and we ended up taking, by that time he had found homes for some of them, which I was you know, extremely impressed with, because it's hard. Yeah. Uh, I think we ended up taking seven or eight of those horses. Oh. Um, fast forward a few years, a bunch of us, meaning animal welfare organizations, got together and we worked closely with the state legislature of Kentucky. And now that stray hold period has been reduced to 15 days. That's nice. So, which is great. So yeah. the purpose yeah. of that stray hold period is to give the owner an opportunity to reclaim the animal. And with this with these horses, they actually go onto a website that the state of Kentucky Department of Agriculture maintains. And that's where people go if they're going to reclaim a horse or see if their horse is missing. It has never happened. Right. We have taken hundreds of horses from that area and nobody has ever come forward and claimed a horse. But it is the process that we have to go through, and we do it. Yeah. Um, and to reclaim the horse, they to get that, they have to agree to pay any expenses that have been incurred in you know, helping that horse. And mm-hmm. if we get a horse that literally is on death's door, we treat it. And you're talking thousands of dollars. And that means if the owner wanted to reclaim it, they would have to pay for that bill. And mm-hmm. that deters a lot of people if they were even looking in the first place. And I highly doubt people were to tell you the truth. Yeah. So
0: when the strayhold is up, do they be automatically become property of animal control?
1: Uh, they, yes. Well, they automatically become property of whoever's holding the horses. So in our case, it would be us. Animal control has already surrendered the horses to us. Okay. We post them on this website and which does mean the horses are in a little bit of limbo for 15 days. But again, people don't claim them because a lot of them are in terrible condition. And are going to require a ton of money to fix. <laughs> yeah. So we you know, we go through that process, though. And um, then we become the official owners. Okay. So does anyone have to sign them over to you in the meantime? Just as long as animal control or an individual or law enforcement has signed our surrender form, we do know okay. with these particular category of horses, they do have to go through this stray hole period. Right. And we also know from experience that no one has ever claimed them. Right. Uh, and that's not saying it won't happen. And if it does, we will deal with it. But mm-hmm. um, so like I said, they are in a little bit of limbo, but it's, you know, it's just the legal process we have to go through. And prior to the 15 days, it was going to be very difficult for us to do that for 90 days, because that's way too long. Yeah. Too much can happen to the horse or to, uh, not to us, yeah. but you know, there are just too many conditions. Yeah. That can change. The horse could die. I mean, you just don't know. So I'm really glad we were able to change it to 15 days because it makes yeah. a lot more sense for the individual owner and for, you know, the organization that's taking the horse. Yeah. How much work was it to get that stray
0: hold changed from 90 to
1: 15 days? Um, You know, actually, you know, I used to work for the federal government. So this was dealing with the state government. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, working for the government, <laughs> wheels of bureaucracy do grind pretty slow. Right. However, in this particular issue, it got done within a year. And I was very impressed. Wow. state of Kentucky yeah. and the legislators and their willingness to work with us and to, you know, basically push the bill through. Yeah. And so they did. And I was frankly kind of surprised, but it, you know, I think it was because people recognized that, you know, this was an issue that needed to be dealt with and it didn't make any sense, you know, to drag it out. There was no really good reason not to do it. So let's put the language together and move it through you know, move it through the legislature, which is what they did. Yeah.
0: Now I, you had mentioned that the free roaming horses coming into town can cause different issues like with traffic and things like that, but why
1: are,
0: why would free roaming horses pose an issue? Why is it a big deal to worry about? Why Why, should people care? Well,
1: yeah, that's good. That's a very good (laughs) question. Um, so, let me back up just a minute. There are many people out there who deeply care about these horses, And there yes. are groups of people that follow these different herds. There are people who go up and feed some of these horses regularly. Um, there are people that go up and take photographs. I mean, there is a nice, dedicated community of people that love those horses. Then there are other people that you know don't care uh, and view them as, you know, a nuisance um a lot of people think they compete with the elk out there for food oh, um so and a lot of people there's a, a small cadre of people that would like to uh develop these herds as tourism opportunities out there because you can easily go out there and you if you're willing to get off the road just for a little bit you can find some horses probably if you're in the right place um so that's all good but the issue out there in my experience, is population control. If the population was, you know, managed or controlled, then there hopefully would be less horses suffering the way they do. And the horses that are suffering out there are horses that either encounter some kind of terrible injury, or they, a bad hoof injury, or they get sick and they just never recover because they don't have, access to any kind of care and so and you know frankly I don't know what percentage of horses are like that I do know that many of the horses we take in from there are like that and are literally would die before they got here if they hadn't gotten here and those horses require thousands of dollars of money to rehab and rescue and I will say, though, that nine times out of 10, we are able to help the horse and it goes on to a very productive second life. Um, sometimes they don't make it and they have to be euthanized. Or we had one little guy um, who came in abandoned. He um, Horses all have a normal parasite load in their body, um, but they also get wormed periodically because those worms can you know get out of control and there are different Mm -hmm. types of worms depending on the time of the year right Uh, so typically when a horse comes in like that um we first of all check their overall body condition Um, we look at their teeth because you know 100 of the time their teeth are going to need to be floated they're going to need farrier care with this little guy um you know we wormed him appropriately but he never thrived. You know, when you think of babies that are born, but they just don't thrive for whatever reason, who knows what the condition is. This little guy was alive, but he just wasn't getting very better. And he was with us for about two months. Um, you know, we took as good a care of him as we could, you know, vets were out there and and examined him. He was treated. And then one Saturday, and I remember it very clearly, we were all here at work and he just bomb tanked. And was clearly suffering and mm-hmm. we made the decision that we had to euthanize him so he was euthanized and because we you know it was really difficult to get to the bottom of what was going on we did a necropsy we've never done a necropsy on a horse here because yes. it's, well it's four hundred dollars and if we oh, did geez. a crops on every horse not that we we don't euthanize very many horses but we were just kind of stumped you know what happened to this guy And so we did a necropsy and it turned out that he was infested with parasites, worms, and there was no amount of worming that was going to get rid of it because those worms had already invaded his organs and um, he was on his way out when he got here. Now we tried to help him, but it was so far gone that there was no going back to any kind of normalcy. And that made us feel a little better because no matter what we did, it wasn't going to work. And it really was the humane thing to do because he, that particular day, he was clearly suffering and in a lot of discomfort. So why people should care? It's because these horses are living beings just like animals and uh, just like other animals, like cats and dogs and birds and rabbits, and they need help. And there are people out there that can help them, like us and other organizations and other really dedicated people. Um, There's you know, there's no reason why they have to suffer. And the other aspect of this whole issue that's kind of a, throws a monkey wrench into everything is um, when uh, many of those horses are were or are owned by people, but a lot of people won't um, admit that they own those horses because they are out free roaming. And if that horse caused an accident or caused property damage or something, theoretically that owner could be held liable for damages right. and so people don't want to do that um, and anybody can sue anybody these day, in this day and age uh, you know whether somebody would really go to that extent you know I think they would if, if, if there was a traffic accident and somebody died um, but so there's it's very difficult to find out who owns these horses because people don't want to tell and I understand that so what we've done over the years, and it's been you know over 10 years, we have made great progress and great effort to get to know people in that area. We have really good working relationships with um, several small animal rescues that get called about these horses. We've done free gelding clinics um, for horses out there that are owned by people. And the whole purpose of that is to just get out into the community and let people know, hey, we aren't here to take your horses, but we are here to help you. And if you get into a problem or into a sticky situation, call us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've, you know, we have some really good relationships with people out there and they appreciate what we do and, you know, are grateful that we can do that. And so, uh, so we've, that's, that's the way we've approached this whole thing. But the bottom line is those stallions need to be gelded. That's the only way that population is ever going to be controlled. Okay, and I was going to ask, part, what is a gelding clinic? That's where you castrate the stallion and remove his testicles, <laughs> just like neutering a dog. <laughs> um, and so we've had um, that's what needs to happen. And until that happens, it's just going to be the same as it is now. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll help the horses we can help, and we'll do the best we can. But um, I, I do think you know, in a Pollyannish sort of way there could be a very manageable herd of horses out there um, that could be um, kind of self-sustaining, but there has to be some kind of population control. And nobody wants to admit that they own a horse, but you have to get permission to, you know, to geld because
0: right. you can't just
1: go out and do it because um, that's, you know, illegal. So nobody wants to admit that. And so it's it's kind of a catch 22. And our approach in the past has been, oh, you know, we'll get to know some of these individual owners and they'll, you know, take people out and say, yeah, these are my horses. You know, there's a free gelding opportunity. Would you be open to that? They say yes. And so, you know, you get a mm-hmm. few, a few done, but you know, it's nothing like what needs to happen. And yeah. so that's why it's a very cultural and social issue as well as a biologic issue. And it's fascinating mm-hmm. because it is so, you know, so multifaceted and I've really enjoyed working with people out there. They are awesome people. And um, it's, you know, in many cases want to do the right thing. It's just, there are some of these other legal aspects of things that kind of, you know, cause people to pause.
0: Yeah. What, with this population, it's a lot of feral horses, some wild. What is the difference between that population and say the wild horses out west?
1: Yeah, no, that, that is a very good question. Um, theoretically, you know, Bureau of Land Management has jurisdiction over those wild animals, the, the burros and the donkeys and the horses out West. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not heavily involved in that issue, but the Bureau of Land Management is overwhelmed. Um, okay, you know, so it's, it's a similar issue then. Yeah, I mean, they do these, okay. these horses and they sit in holding pens for a long time. It's no quality of life. And they're removed, you know, because they're a threat to the habitat. Uh, it's a very sticky wicket out there. <laughs> oh, interesting! Uh, I would have thought that it would be like a wolf or a coyote. Like no, it's, because it's... there's so there's so many. Oh, okay. And I don't know. I know there have been there's been a lot of discussion about population control out there, um, and work with a drug called PZP, which is a shot that, that's given to mares that prevents them from ovulating. Um, okay, so that sounds kind of easy, right? but it's not because it requires boosters like every three years for a while. I don't know it's how kind long. of like a horse birth control. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a huge, very expensive effort because these horses are, I mean, I would venture to say the the square mileage of the horses out there is much larger than what we're dealing with out here. So, um, but there have been discussions about using PZP out in Eastern Kentucky. If, you know, if we can check all the boxes and and get buy-in you know we have to get buy-in from the local community before we do that because or before anybody does it because you know we are not the legal owners of those horses so um there has to be kind of a general understanding and and uh coming together of okay this is the issue this is how we're going to deal with it and you know people have been trying for years and it's not that there's resistance it's just that there are a lot of people out there and this is very expensive and Mm -hmm it really needs, I think, um, you know, kind of a, a spearheaded organization to to kind of get everybody together and then get the funding. And that's kind of where the rubber meets the road because there's not a lot of funding for the work we do. And, you know, in general, we're not funded by the government. You know, right. we don't get money appropriated every year. We rely on donations and grants and um, direct mail and fundraisers and stuff. And, you know, the, the grant you know, pool of money is what's been funding the work we've been doing out there as far as gelding clinics go and community mm-hmm. outreach and things like that. And that's great. But, you know, you can't be guaranteed that every year because that's not the way it works unless right. you got a multi year grant, which, you know, that is possible. So, you know, there are lots of things happening and it's all good stuff. And I think it's, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think there's really some positive things that eventually will happen because yeah. there are, are, you know, people are really. A, well, they're becoming aware of the issue, but 10 years ago, none of us here in central Kentucky really knew about it. And a lot of the people that live in central Kentucky don't know anything about it. And, um, you know, it's just not a, you know, it's not known like the wild horses out west at all, at right. all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you
0: said, you've been developing trust yes, and developing relationships with the people in that community. So, yeah, with the trajectory you're on,
1: I mean, it seems like the future is positive for. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. That. There's enough of us involved and invested in it that I think at some point, um, you know, one way to look at it is you could get legislature, legislators involved and pass a law. The only thing about that, is, you know, a regulation that says this is going to happen and this is how we're going to do it. The only thing that, that that's very heavy handed. Uh, you know, and a lot of people don't respond well to, you know, government telling them what to do or directing them. Um, However, theoretically, you know, money could be obtained that way. And that's really the right. Um, There are other granting organizations that, you know, that want to help and they do help. But again, it's just on a year to year basis. And, but I think there are enough people that care and Kentucky is such a horse centric state um, that, you know, I think, eventually things will happen the more people know about us and you know the the more at-risk horses are you know are getting help now whether they're all getting help I don't really know because you know I don't know where they're all located right but when we get a call from eastern Kentucky we never say no and we will take that horse without you know without knowing a thing about it and um and, you know, and so that's good. And we have been able to save, you know, a lot of lives that way. So, you know, you do the best you can with what you got at the time, yeah. but I don't think it's all, you know, I think it, it is moving in a positive, in a positive manner. And I think people do really appreciate what we're doing out there.
0: Yeah. And they're yeah. very
1: dedicated. These uh, animal rescue organizations out there, they're awesome. We've made some really nice friends with people out there. Good. I wonder
0: if there's a way to hold a gelding clinic not anonymously, but like, no, Hey, come, come bring horses in. We do. Yeah. We've done several of those. Okay. So Uh in a way where people don't, I mean, you assume it's their horse, but people don't have to say this is my
1: horse and I'm registering it. So yes, we've done probably uh, three or four of those. Okay. Uh, a very small number of those horses actually come from what we call co- we call them the strip jobs you know the mo- strip mines very few of those horses uh, come from those strip jobs um, because it involves going out there picking them up and then taking them to the location where the clinic is going to be held um and um the majority of the horses that we get those gelding clinics are privately owned and they come from private homes however It's not that's not all bad because those people know people who know people who know people, Mm -hmm. and you know, word travels fast. So it's not, you know, a bad thing that we're only, you know, the majority of them are already owned by people. Now, there have been times when we've gone out into the field and we have gone onto the strip jobs, and people have shown us their horses Mm -hmm. that they own and they have been gelded. Um, So that has happened, you know, periodically through these efforts. We just need it to happen more often. (laughs) Right. And Um,
0: that comes down to funding.
1: Yeah. Well, funding, and then also finding the right people who want to reach out to you. Okay. You know, it's not so much funding at that point. The primary thing is finding, you know, if somebody called us like now and said, I have eight horses up on the strip in such and such a County, will you come geld them? Absolutely. We would. Okay. uh, If we're contacted by the owner. But not many owners are doing it quite like that yet. And I think it's just going to take a long time for people to realize that this is something they can, that they can uh, take advantage of because it's free right? and also something that's beneficial to the horse, but there's still, you know, and I understand this, you know, people get kind of um, wary of things, this, you know, wary of people that say, Hey, we're here to help. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but we are truly there to help. So it just takes a while to kind of make those inroads. Mm -hmm. Um, And it would be ideal if people did say, hey, I got a bunch of horses and I need help gelding them. Uh, Will you come help me? And we would say yes in a New York minute.
0: Yeah. Because I know, I mean, now I've learned a lot about this, but this is such a new topic to me. Are there things that I haven't asked you about this topic or are there other things that you wish people would know more about or ways that people can help?
1: I think the main thing, and and it's gotten, you know, the the awareness is much higher now than it used to be. But I think the main thing for any kind of equine need, you know, in the state of Kentucky, if somebody just picks up the phone and calls for help or emails or lets somebody know they need help, they will get helped. Mm-hmm. Nobody in a dire situation is gonna be turned away from helping a horse. None of, the, you know, we will always find room for an emergency and other organizations will too. Um, we will never turn anybody away where the horse is clearly suffering or is on its way out. Now, not all horses we get are like that. You know, many horses aren't. Because if they all were, we'd be broke. <laughs> right? we <laughs> a lot of money into these horses. Um, But people just have to ask for help. And, you know, a good example, this doesn't have anything to do with Eastern Kentucky, but, you know, this woman's husband died uh, many months ago now like six or seven months ago. And um, these horses, her husband had a few horses, and which doesn't really care about them and that's okay I'm not judging her at all she doesn't have to care about horses. But um, you know, we finally, months and months and months later, get notified by a family member who realizes these horses need help. They call us, they send us pictures. I'm like, "Yes, we will help." But the horses have big issues that are going to need to be dealt with that probably could have been dealt with way earlier and might not be as, you know, traumatic as they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And I wish people would just recognize, you know, we need help and call us because we will help and we will never turn anybody away. That is truly in a a rough situation and a rough situation is like somebody dies. They've lost their job. um, they're getting foreclosed on the property they live on is being sold. Um, they've gotten divorced and they just can't do it anymore. I mean, those are all, um, situations that kind of rise to the top
0: of the priority list
1: as opposed to someone who, um, whose daughter, you know, is going to college and really has no interest in the horse anymore. And yeah, that horse is eventually going to need to be rehomed, but it's certainly not an emergency. Yeah. And so people just, I, you know, and that's, you know, the basis of all our efforts and everything we do is to try to reach out to as many diverse audiences as we can to get our message out so that people know we are a resource and we can help. Yeah. Um, we will help. And that's the main thing I want people to Understand that they shouldn't feel like they have no options because yeah. there are a lot of options in Kentucky, and there are a lot of people that care, and there are a zillion farms here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and you can find a place for a horse if you really need one. Right. Um, well, and I think and
0: a it, lot of times people they're worried about being shamed, like well, why didn't you do this? Or yeah, if
1: I and ask for help, yeah. And of course, we never go there. Right. But you know, when I first started working here, I think I may have mentioned this in the other podcast. You know, I um, was a lay horse owner. I'd owned horses for a while, but, you know, I'd never been involved in rescue. And I thought, oh, this is all about taking care of skinny, you know, emaciated horses that, you know, can barely stand up. Um, And that is true. But I quickly realized that a lot of the horses we help are coming from people who dread picking that phone up and making a phone call because it is embarrassing, it's sad, it's traumatic um, they're, they feel hopeless. I have listened to so many people cry on the other end of the phone saying, I wish I, I can't believe I even have to make this phone call. I never thought this, it would come to this. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older too, you know, any of us, you or me or anybody, we could right. end up in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so it's not fair to judge. And we don't, right. our focus is the horse. And while, yes, we wish people had called us sooner, Um, The point is, they did call, and we are going to help. And so um, it's a lot of reasons why people, you know, life just gets really overwhelming. Right? Anytime you're in some kind of crisis, and, you know, you just don't know what to do. And um, so all I'm saying is, call us sooner rather than later, because we can help you. and we will help you, and we will not abandon you Mm -hmm. Um, if the horse is truly in, you know, is truly in a crisis situation, or it's an imminent threat, and you are in the same situation as well, and I've heard, I have heard it all pretty much, and I feel so sorry for people, because it's terrible what people, you know, go through. They lose their jobs, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the one woman, this was years ago now, she called, and She had gotten divorced or was in the process of getting a divorce and her husband called her up one day and said, I'm not taking care of these horses anymore you got to figure it out. And they were living apart at the time. Mm. and She was like flipping out. And she called says, you know, I know these horses have to go somewhere but I can't like, you know, I can't figure it out today, but my husband's told me he's left. These horses are alone. So we said we'll take them. Yeah. (laughs) And six hours later they came over, and there were four of them. So. That's an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. You know, this woman has a child. She does not have the money to take them somewhere and board them you know, pay for that. Her husband is, and you know, her husband has left and, you know, he's thrown his hands up and gone. So that's an emergency and we will help people. And I hear a lot of, a lot of interesting situations that I'm very thankful I have never been in and I certainly don't want to ever be in. Right. Um, And it's, it's sad, you know, Mm -hmm. so I don't, you know, there's no, only been two people. I've been here almost ten years. Only two people I've been mad at. <laughs> and, you know and it doesn't last very long. <laughs> right. That's pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good. Long <laughs> long because you know, it's it's too much energy being angry. Mm-hmm. So let's be, um, let's focus our energy on what we can do, which is you right. know help this horse. And you know, fortunately, we have great veterinary partners and a great staff who knows what they're doing. And you know, we'll pull out all the stops before we. Throwing a throwing the towel, and we do. And like yeah. I said, nine times out of ten, those horses do make it, which is so wonderful to watch. It's yeah. so great. I bet. All right, Karen, this has been such
0: an amazing episode.
1: Thanks, Kashia. I, I it's a very I'm very uh, invested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out my dad um, was born in Eastern Kentucky, and I knew that he's he's gone now, and I so wish he was alive because. I I have so many questions, but he uh, only lived there until he was 12. And then he and his mom moved uh, to Cincinnati. And um, so, but he was born there and, and um, I would, you know, and it's just so karmic that here I am in Kentucky. I never thought I would be here, not in a million years, not that I didn't want to be, but I just never thought I would be. Yeah. And here I am working in an area that was, you know, his childhood home and, it's just so karmic it's kind of wild yeah Uh, and so i just wish he was alive so i could ask him a bunch of questions about what it was like you know i never really talked about it very much Mm -hmm. but um you know and i think you know his growing up was not terrible terrible but you know it wasn't all pie in the sky um and uh you know but it was the very early part of his life and i have relatives all over the state that you know i vaguely know yeah you know, in a million years, I never thought I'd end up here working. That's so funny how life works out. I don't have a Southern accent. I
0: do have roots here. Nice. Oh goodness. Well, thank you. I've learned so much. And I think, I think this is going to start to help spread awareness and more people start to pay attention to It's not just small animals that have these issues, large animals do too.
1: Right. And, you know, I'm sure you give out our email address and phone number. So, you know, people can call us anytime and, you know, can ask questions, come out and see us. I mean, we're all about, you know, getting the message out there and educating people and finding people who want to be part of this um, support, which is what we give courses when they find new homes. Awesome. Well, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Kashia. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the animal rescue podcast if you like what you hear please rate review and subscribe and tell your friends thank you